Greetings all. Welcome to the Historical Wisdom Podcast. Today we're kind of switching it up again given COVID-19 and you know we've surpassed 100,000 deaths. A lot of loss of life of people that we care for Um, and some of the highest rates you know that we've seen are of course with our Black and Latinx communities but also our Native American communities have been experiencing a disproportionate rate of um, infection and mortality. And so we wanted to pay attention to that disparity uh, that's been happening. And so over the past couple weeks, uh, Wyatt Kelly, our program coordinator, who you've heard from before, and Roseanne Rosenthal, uh, one of our graduate students on the project, have been talking with some friends uh, across California, and we wanted to share that knowledge with you. So, Wyatt and Roseanne, thank you for having those conversations. And so first, we just thought it would be great if you gave us some overarching thoughts about the conversations that you had. Um, This is Wyatt here. Thank you. Overarching thoughts about the conversations I had with fellow friends and colleagues It was really touching to hear what people had to say about the pandemic. It was really heartwarming to hear that there's still a sense, a really strong sense of community going on. I spoke with a few of my professors and a lot of them are doing everything they can to help the community, whether that be getting masks out or just sending messages on the daily to people they care about to let them know like, oh, we have extra this, we have extra that, whatever you need, we can help you out. So seeing that really strong sense of community was really heartwarming for me personally. Hi, this is Roseanne Rosenthal. What I took home from the interviews mostly was the fact that there's still not a lot of information uh, that's getting out to the population, specifically Native American population. And then also the comparison of what happened in history historically with tuberculosis and how that's almost mirrored what's happening today. So I think that had the most impact on me when I started hearing these stories. Yeah, that's so important to think about how, you know, the histories, we've talked a lot about the history of genocide and disease has been a huge part of what's happened with Native Americans in our history and to see it happening again really makes us question how far we've come. Uh, and what still needs to be done. And so the other part that I really liked about your interviews was that you asked people what they thought doctors should know about working with Native Americans during a pandemic. And so I don't know if you had any thoughts that you wanted to add to that question. I really found um, they were so transparent and so helpful when it came to advice and recommendations. Uh, It really came from the heart. And I thought, that was probably the best information that any physician that services uh, the Native American population could ever learn. There was also interviews that came from younger Natives that actually consulted with elders, their own grandparents, and talked to them about what's happened and you know, how far we have or have not come from that time and what can we learn from this. So I thought that was really, really important information that maybe we have not touched on before. Any other thoughts, Wyatt? In the same vein as Roseanne, like that transparency was really nice to see. And the fact that doctors in general just need to be more educated and more open to learning about the Native community. 
and, and speaking with them personally and, and being a person who's going to stay there for them. Because I heard that a few times throughout the podcast that, oh, you know, I wish doctors would stay around longer. I wish people would make that connection longer, keep that connection longer. Because I think it was our first person we interviewed, Elise Green, where she had mentioned that doctors will come and they'll stay for their residency and then they'll just leave. And it's that lifelong connection that needs to be there to help people to care for them. Yeah. And that is a recurring theme through the whole project, right? The desire to have constant care. Thank you so much for having those conversations and um, creating this opportunity for us to hear from your friends and, and others. So uh, we'll go ahead and listen and uh, chat a little bit at the end. Thank you very much for for helping us out with the podcast. So what's your name? Yes, my name is Elise Green. And what is your tribe? My tribal affiliation is Wallapine. So I just want to ask you a few questions about this whole pandemic that's going on with the COVID-19. The first thing I want to ask you is what stands out the most about this pandemic to you, either personally or within your community? What stands out the most to me is the impact that has nationwide and globally around the world and the hysteria surrounded by it. Okay. Anything that's happening in your community or with Native people that you interact with? Yes. Since I teach at a school, the school has been greatly impacted by this outbreak and a lot of people are uncertain, but it's also brought the community together in a way to help out the students to get them the resources they need because there's a huge equity gap between the age groups in the schools and opportunity gap that could follow that afterwards because of everything going on. And we're just really trying. The educators have been working really hard to turn everything around to positive instead of a negative impact. So we're all trying to say high hopes positive, keep our students informed, and also um, prepare them for their future. Thank you. Are there similarities historically or past experience that can be compared to what is happening now? Um, Yes. Well, after discussing with my grandmother, she went through her own sort of pandemic with the outbreak of polio. So from living on the reservation, experiencing the impact of polio in their small community, hit them pretty hard and she had recalled that they had to like do the same thing which was um take time off from school and stay isolated and quarantined until a vaccine was created but it didn't stop like the outbreak because her younger brother still had polio and that impacted his life after that but that was like a huge deal <laughs> back when she was younger So she sees that in a different point of view now because she's like, oh, I went through it one time in my lifetime. So now this is kind of happening again. So that kind of leads me to believe that we all will end up at least experiencing one or more pandemic within our own lifetime. Now I'm kind of curious because you hear stories from elders about things like this. So did you think that was just oral history or did you ever think that we would go through this too during this time? Of course, I never listened to my <laughs> my elders, but no, 
I did not believe it, but there were warnings. Of course, there's always warnings. There's always stories, oral histories passed down. And a lot of ceremonies are surrounded by, you know, showing appreciation and gratitude for things, you know, small things. The things that we take granted for, like now, toilet paper is a, you know, scarcity. And the ceremonies surrounding that into like the traditional stories impact the way like we see the world. So I also see the world differently than someone else who doesn't have those traditional stories that are passed down from generation to generation. So I feel good in a sense that my grandmother prepared me in a way, but what I wish I would have listened sooner. Yes. Because she knows more of like survival skills. I would say like hunting, um, skinny animals and just like how to make things from scratch, how to make things stretch, you know, a lot of those skills with like in terms of food and like the feeding of large family and everything definitely could have listened before, <laughs> but I'm learning, taking notes now, everything she says, because it is very important. It is. Now, that being said, do you feel like you can relate to her better that all the stuff that she went through? Because I, I would think that maybe you couldn't before. Can, do you relate better now with her that you're going through this too? I would say yes, just because when you're going through something with someone together and it's even better to have someone sort of guide you and having that past life experience and knowing everything that she knows and then I could like um, empathize with her more about her experiences and everything and create that stronger bond between us. But we already have a pretty strong bond as well, but hearing more and more about her life and knowing that it'll be okay <laughs> gives me a peace of mind. So that's awesome. Okay, next question. What do you feel that doctors treating Native American patients should consider during this epidemic? Honestly, they should consider the lack of accessibility because, as I mentioned before, in terms of schooling, that's just public schooling here in California that I'm talking about, the equity gap, opportunity gap, but that's also something that's always been um, apparent for Native communities because there's always been an equity gap when it came to healthcare in Native communities because the reservations don't necessarily always have readily available health centers to go to. And that's what leads it to, for things like this, these outbreaks, it's the lack of accessibility, in my opinion, because, what was it? Things as like childbirth, like my grandma, she um, had my mother in Phoenix, but to get to Phoenix from the reservation, she had to get a helicopter just to get there in, or, in time to get birth, but then there's a whole bunch of complications and everything. So with the accessibility being difficult, there also leads more risk. So if you don't have that health center nearby, you also have an increased risk automatically because of that distance. You, during that time, it takes you to get to the healthcare facility, a lot of things can happen, right? So the immediate treatment of Native Americans in secluded and isolated communities is really prevalent. So that's something that should be addressed overall. And also just like how many there are, like you look around in most communities, let's just say like Los Angeles, there's quite a handful of healthcare facilities that you can have. You might be lucky if you're on a reservation or an urban area to find one, uh, one or two 
healthcare services designated toward Indian communities. And that's, um, even though we're a lone population, we're really not, because we still have the same specific health, or we have the same health needs as other ethnic groups, but also they have to consider how specific our needs are. We are high diabetes, cholesterol, heart disease, and alcoholism. And I feel like there's not enough resources that could impact our immediate needs necessarily. And also location wise, like there's not enough in the surrounding areas where we congregate to be able to get there in time to get treated. What would you like doctors to take away from this crisis moving forward with regards to serving the native population? I have a life for them doctors to take away that you must know the patient before treating them in that sense, because there's a lot of um, bad medicine out there. I'm going to say phrase it that way, bad medicine. Like if you don't know the person who's treating you, how could you like treat them well and like give them good medicine to follow through and what else around that? But I would like them to actually like self-reflect on those researches. And I feel like the same research is being done over and over again, which is good. Excuse me. But to create an impact, you must learn from that. And I feel like there's not enough reflection going on. And I really don't think there's a lot of community outreach, in my opinion. So if you have, let's say, like a white doctor treating a Native elder, they're not going to let them go near them. <laughs> now unless it's like an emergency or something. So um, just have that patient-doctor relationship and honestly having reliable staff that's consistent because the more familiar you are with someone, the less frightened you are. And I wish people would stick around more, like in IHA, like specifically IHS. They know it's like really short-term residency and then they move on to a different, bigger, better hospital. But I really think what doctors can take away is that the needs of different ethnic groups are very specific and they vary from each group to another and within the native community they really should focus on numbers and how we can support their immediate needs as i mentioned before because this is everyone's going through this differently processing differently and there should be enough room to treat outbreaks in a native community if it were to break out in a tribe since the tribe is like close-knit and it might spread rapidly because how close-knit they are regardless of like the safer at home order like my tribe didn't close off to the public but it did like uh, encourage people to stay at home but on the flip side tribes are already isolated anyways if you live on a reservation so have their lifestyle change that much not necessarily but if you need the right resources to get to them again like within the time frame needed, then that should be considered too. Like, I don't know if there's any pandemic kits or testing kits available to them. If it were to happen, I don't know if they were need like a time frame or they need to like wait or anything like that. Cause out here in higher populated cities, they might have more accessibility to that versus a small tribe. But this pandemic can wipe out, could potentially like wipe out like the whole population of a single tribe because it's so small. Now, you mentioned something about um, the elders and the difficulty of them accepting a non 
native uh, physician. Um, why do you think that is? I think a lot of it has to do with like, fear because, for example, my grandmother attended boarding school at Sherman Institute. Their way to, uh, their form of healthcare was pretty, it was abusive. So, for example, you have lice in your hair, they'll like drench you in kerosene. If you had a cut on your hand, you know, there wasn't really a lot of wound care or um, medical assistance at the institute at all. So their ways were like unorthodox and not really impactful. So if you were sick, you know, Sherman Institute had a, a cemetery on site and it still does. So that just implies that they were taking care of their students. They are waiting for their students to die and there wasn't any sort of care or thought going to that. So it also goes back to the historical traumas that, you know, they have this um, white savior complex that doesn't necessarily feel authentic to them. So it causes elders to mostly um, shy away from any type of Eurocentric medical care because their experiences have been terrible from their boarding school experiences. Just to wrap it up, overall, in conclusion, um, Native communities have specific needs that need to be um, cared for thoughtfully. And the research shows that they have high alcoholism, and, you know, all these other list of things. And I think that as a whole, we could like work better to improve the needs of the Native community surrounding health because they're still there, you know, numbers are still there, and then historical trauma is still there. And if there's a way to encourage Native doctors with the same incentive to help out the community, I think that would improve the whole doctor-patient relationship. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Wyatt Kelly, and today I'm here with Professor KJ Fernandez from University of California, Riverside. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, KJ? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. My name is Professor KJ Hernandez. I am Yaki, and I'm happy to be here and to talk with you about the current pandemic and how it's affected me personally. Sweet. So my first question for you is a very general open question. Just how have you been doing throughout the whole COVID-19 pandemic? I think I've been okay. Um, mostly concerned for our communities. And so that has added an extra layer of anxiety. Overall, I've been fine, especially considering my training in anthropology, which is very much kind of an isolating field. You have to do field research generally by yourself and you work alone quite a bit. So I'm trained to be alone more often than, say, other scholars. However, I think one of the things that has been the most challenging is monitoring anxieties surrounding the fears and the susceptibilities that uh, those of us who embody, who have Native bodies, um, how this contagion affects us individually and collectively. So just managing those 
kind of thoughts and feelings yeah. and um, working hard at that. Yeah. So what are some things that have really stood out to you during this pandemic? I guess there are several things. Um, where, where would you like me to start in terms of community or my personal experience? Yeah, I could be uh, so either personal or what have you noticed in the community that's been standing out? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll start from my personal experience. Um, it's been challenging to witness inequitabilities that are happening um, and that are being brought to the surface during the pandemic. So that has been on my mind quite a bit. And just personally, it's been interesting to see how my experience and training in STEM sciences have kind of emphasized my understanding and the way I'm situated with knowing to an extent you know, how contagions work, cross-contamination. <laughs> so my senses are heightened. And so that means that I have a standard protocol for my home. <laughs> I have a standard protocol for when I leave the home to get food, for example. Um, and I also am somewhat serving as community health person for my family and extended family. Oh, wow. Because, you know, I, I'm the one that has gone to university. And so I, I'm obligated in that sense to share what I know with friends and extended family and, and community. So I actually wrote a standard protocol document that I shared with close friends and family, um, oh. just based on my understanding of cross-contamination and um, how microns can travel <laughs> from yeah. person to person. That's so yeah, just monitoring my own behaviors, being very, very observant about the behaviors of those around me um, when I leave the home and trying not to allow those changes or shifts in my everyday life to create an accentuated worry or anxiety. So it can't be helped, but just managing that has been tricky. And in terms of community, I think it's been, well, it's been very painful, right, to witness how Indigenous peoples are being treated, not only, of course, in the U.S., but on an international scale. Yeah. And so um, that's been very, very difficult to process. And at the same time, recognizing that I have the privilege of being able to quarantine, yeah. uh, being able to be, you know, self-isolated in a home and to have access to food supplies at a grocery store and also even just having access to water and soap and so many folks um, indigenous Native American folks don't necessarily have readily access to those kinds of basic needs. And so, um, you know, recognizing the privilege that I have in this case and trying to think of ways that I can expand or reach community in some way, even while being quarantined. 
you know, which has been quite tricky. Definitely. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a good challenge. Yeah. There was one thing you mentioned about how you feel the Native community has always been treated and specifically being treated in this moment. And I was thinking, what do you think could be done differently? Or what do you think, seeing like the way the community is being treated now, what do you think could be done to better that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I've really been sitting with that because one of the things that I work hard, and I think most Native and Indigenous scholars, if not also, of course, community, we work hard not only about understanding our situated positions, doing something about it is what's necessary. And it often, especially, I mean, in particular with the pandemic, it's been a struggle to feel somewhat helpless in this moment, which I think is where, you know, another layer of that anxiety comes in because in my own regular everyday life outside of the pandemic or before the pandemic, you know, staying connected with communities, staying active with supporting, you know, local work that's happening, the land care work, those kinds of things are important to the indigenous resurgence movements. And so by being isolated and having these feelings of helplessness has really weighed on me. So what could be done? Well, I guess I'm also learning alongside my fellow native and indigenous scholars, you know, to observe what kinds of things they're doing. Um, You know, I don't live in a densely populated native indigenous area. Um, I live and work and do research in Joshua Tree, California, which is near the national park. And so it's somewhat rural. Mm -hmm. And because it's so close to a national park, there's not a large population of people here in general. So I always, even before, would have to drive, you know, distances to, to connect with community in person. Yeah. Um, and what I've observed of uh, fellow scholars, um, the kinds of actions that they're doing for those who are outside of their immediate, you know, tribal communities has been along the lines of what you're doing, um, podcasts, regular kind of open public Zoom meetings that you could observe and or contribute to, um, distributing information to each other and to the broader public, those seem to be the ways that I've seen, you know, Native and Indigenous folks continuing in their action with Indigenous resurgence and contributing to our abilities to thrive. So I'm thinking about ways that I can also do that sort of thing. But um, I think I started with the writing and developing and distributing the, the protocol for safety. Yeah. So I became kind of like a makeshift community health worker. (laughs) Um, And so for me, that was something that I felt I could do and contribute. Um, One other thing that I've been doing is just reaching out to close friends and family and talking about um, people that I know that are unable to quarantine. Um, just very specific, specifically or concretely saying, hey, 
Um, I found out a family member or a friend of a friend's family, you know, works in a grocery store, works as a nurse or a frontline worker of any kind. They don't have X, Y, or Z. If you have any extras, you know, we can pull them together and send it to them. So that's another way that I've been working to continue to contribute to the health and safety of our communities is by reaching out, trying to pull together, you know, even a, a set of masks to send to our friends and family who are healthcare workers. In fact, that's what I was working on this morning. <laughs> I've been working on uh, this morning, I would say at least the last five hours on um, obtaining some masks that are for public use, but they actually, they're not that terrible because as we know, you know, cotton masks don't protect anyone from the micron size particles that make up the virus. <laughs> um, and so I'm trying to get a hold of some masks that protect a person from 60% of 0.04 microns. And in comparison, the appropriate or, you know, healthcare worker kind of level of mask would protect one approximately 90% of 0.03 micron. And so in comparison, for being a publicly accessible mask, to have one that's 60% to 0.04 microns is actually pretty good. And so, um, yeah, but it's been very difficult getting my hands on these masks, but I'm doing what I can. I was able to obtain 12 of the masks of which 11 are being donated to folks in the community who are frontline workers. And today I was working on obtaining another 10 so most of those will also be sent out. So that's probably the second most prominent way that I'm trying to continue to contribute to our community and not just produce knowledge or, you know, focus on publications. Yeah, that's really good. I'm really happy that I got to hear your perspective because it's been definitely been different for everyone, how everyone's going about their uh, quarantine, I guess. And yours has definitely been one that's like, all about the community. So it's really good to hear that you're doing all that work. Yeah, I, you know, I'm trying. (laughs) And I wouldn't say it's all about the community. You know, I also have obligations outside of that, just as we would in any scenario, you know, juggling um, work obligations, research and publication obligations, mentoring obligations, all of the above. (laughs) And juggling those with our community obligations, which, as we know, in any given situation, you know, there's always more labor and anxiety placed on Native and Indigenous folks because we have to do it all. Well, those were all of my questions for you, KJ. Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing how you're feeling and all your knowledge and insight. It's been amazing. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. Uh, One last thing I'd like to share that has been really filling my heart, my spirit, is honestly just direct text message threads. (laughs) 
you know, with aunties and just sending each other funny stuff, fun things. Um, we've also exchanged gifts through the mail. Just fun stuff that keeps our energies up and encouraged because, as you know, even though Native Indigenous peoples are constantly faced with so many barriers and challenges, we like to have fun (laughs) and joke around and, you know, and so keeping that going through text messages or gift exchanges, you know, I'm not only sending masks, right? I'm sending like trinkets or like fun things. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's been a huge part of kind of surviving the emotional, psychological, like energetic self and keeping those things thriving and flourishing in our lives. So it may not, again, it may not look like the kind of community connection that one is accustomed to, but by simply staying in touch as, I mean, not all the time, but as much as we can, just by messaging each other or sending a funny picture or jokes, just as we ever would, but in some way it's just at least for me personally more impactful in this moment Mm -hmm. and um so that's been really really helpful and that might also be one of the different ways that community is able to continue and manifest itself you know and I think it's also going to be important just as it always is I mean or one of the things that Native and Indigenous folks experience is again in any situation, being overwhelmed with the amount of work and responsibilities we have, not only to our families, but to each other and our communities, while also doing, (laughs) you know, working in our livelihoods. Um, So in this scenario, and this moment, you know, it's difficult to see the boundaries between labor, work, and time for yourself to take care of yourself to nourish yourself you know those lines are blurred for those of us who are able to quarantine i mean it's very challenging to not work overwork yourself for me personally that's been a challenge and i noted that the first months i would say so most most of march I really, really overworked myself because, you know, there were just so many things happening all at once, so much new information, everything transferring to online. So it required a huge upsurge in labor. And it came to the point where I was working, you know, 16 hours a day and getting very little sleep. And I had to stop and check in with myself and say, you know, I'm not going to be able to contribute much if I keep at this pace. (laughs) So regulating my own labor has been another way to care for myself and to be able to be in a position where I can continue to care for those in my family and community. My name is Lena Tejeda. Hi, Lena. So there's some questions that I'd like to ask you. First of all, what are the things that stand out to you personally and anything that's like community 
regarding this pandemic or crisis? Yeah. So for me, I think one of the things that stands out the most is the use of social media and staying in contact with everybody. You know, we have these this new technology like Zoom and like Skype. We have those things to be able to keep in touch with each other and still keep that community, especially with like our student orgs on campus. Um, it's really important for that. And how about community? Would you say it's the same thing or? I would say for myself, um, yeah, I'm just keeping in contact with my family and I definitely see a lot of updates on social media. I'm involved with or I'm in groups online that are for the local community. And so kind of seeing everybody encouraging each other to stay in and um, helping each other out. I see people who are like, hey, you know, I have baby wipes if you need some. I have bottles of water, especially for people who have special needs, you know. Um, yeah, I think everyone's doing a, an okay job. I definitely think that there could be more done. Um, it seems like a lot of people are divided. Like a lot of people don't think that they should have to stay home or, you know. Yeah. So you th- you're kind of mixed feelings about yeah. uh, if people are helping, that some do and some don't. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I realized I contradicted myself. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I feel like there's some mixed feelings with community. It seems like a lot of people are at each other's throats right now. Um, not everybody, you know, but there are some people who are. Do you think, do you feel it's different for natives um, than the rest of the population? Do you think that they're, they're, they're experiencing it differently? And if so, what, what do you think is different? I do think that, that Native Americans are experiencing it a little bit differently. Um, well, I guess it depends on where they live at, I guess. is Are they urban or are they like living on the reservation or the rancherias? A lot of my family that I've seen that live on the reservation, they seem to not, like it's divided. There are some who seem to really not care, um, who are just like, I'm gonna walk around on the res, I'm gonna do whatever I want, I don't need a social distance. Or they're like kinda not necessarily pushing back, but also saying things like, well, we've been kind of doing this our whole lives. Like this is how the government's treated us forever. You know, we can never get healthcare. We can never get help with things. So welcome to our world, you know. I've seen a lot of that go around on Facebook. Um, My mom lives on the reservation still, um, but she does have a county job. And she is very, taking this very, very seriously, you know. So within my mom's household, they're taking it very, very seriously, especially because my grandma, you know, she's elderly. She's like 77. Um, She goes to dialysis. And so they're just taking extra precautions um, with her. But I definitely see a mix. Like, I feel like just everyone's divided, no matter what background you come from. Now, have you noticed any similarities from the past, experiences or historical experiences with healthcare or disease? I don't feel like I could speak on that too much because I don't have a lot of background in knowing about diseases and um, stuff within the American community. That's not really where I have experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know enough to even speak on that, honestly. Okay. Um, so what do you feel that doctors need to know to treat natives during this time? I think that doctors really need to be aware of 
the fact that there's a lack of a lot of transportation with Native Americans, with a lot of Native Americans, I mean, the, the lack of access to healthcare or just not knowing um, what is available to them. And, you know, a lot of Native Americans are very sheltered and I'm sure a lot of people know that. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand it though, but Native Americans are very sheltered, especially ones who come from the reservations. They like to stick to their own. So they're not always welcoming to the outside community, especially like if you have like a white doctor or, um, you know, a Hispanic doctor or a black doctor, um, they're just, a lot of them, they're not open to it for whatever reason. The natives are not open to that? Yeah, a lot of them. I would say like the typical, like when I'm, when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking of like my cousins and people that I know and grew up on the reservation with, um, you know, they don't have money or they don't have, they don't apply to Medi-Cal or, um, other government things because a lot of it has to do with like the lack of resources, either not knowing where to get them and not knowing who to ask. I mean, I mean, Native Americans feel outcasted very much, you know, by society. So it's really hard um, for them to go and ask people, especially who are not Native, to help them out. Um, a lot of people actually talk to my mom because my mom, in work, like I said, my mom works for the county. So a lot of people, like cousins and stuff, will reach out to my mom and ask her what they should be doing. Like, and my mom's, like, especially in this instance with the COVID-19 outbreak, my mom's like, go to the doctor, call your health professional, um, stay at home, do not go. Um, so instead of reaching out to health providers, they're actually calling people that they know, like my mom, who work for the county. And um, so what, what would you want doctors to take away from this crisis or pandemic? In regards to Native Americans? Yes. Yeah, I would just say definitely the lack of resources, the lack of knowledge, um, understanding those things. I would say definitely understanding that when you're dealing with the Native American population, um, you have to be extra sensitive and extra careful because of how um, reserved we are and how, how much we don't, a lot of us don't like talking to people who aren't Native American. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. That's all I could say. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Uh, I appreciate it very much. And You're welcome. Thank you. Aloha for listening to Historical Wisdom. We trust that it will help you as you care for yourself and others. Additional wisdom and references about historical trauma, as well as our curriculum and activities, can be found on our website, gogm.live. Alawa Tishan Milanovic for sharing the opening and closing bird song. The podcast was produced by Juliet McMullen and our Chihun Piyunk Inach Steering Committee and edited by Catherine Rodriguez and Wyatt Kelly. Content was developed in conversation with community members and our Chihun Piyunk Inach Steering Committee that include Sherry Salgado, Luella Thornton, Julie Andrews, Holly Bronner, Veronica Espinoza, Jonelle John, Michelle Opsal, Gina Hughes, Catherine Rodriguez, Ann Cheney, Kendall Shumway, Wyatt Kelly, Sean Milanovich, Amanda Marquez, Laureen Sisqua, Clifford Traxer, and Jackie Wise Spirit. 
The Historical Wisdom Podcast is funded through an, an engagement award from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. Aloha from the Chihun Piung Inach Project, www.gogm.live.